Invest in yourself today with our Insider Pro product, which gives you the career path to reach the next step in your cybersecurity journey. Join today on cyberate.it using the discount code podcast. In this episode of the Cyberate podcast, we welcome back Josh Lospinoso, the CEO of Shift5. Speaking with Mike Gruen and Jonathan Myers from Cyberate, Josh discusses an article he wrote about how the military is a bad place for hackers and what can be done about it. All right, so we want to welcome Josh back to the podcast. I think this is the second, third one we've done, and then I think you did a four hundred one recently. So yeah. I think we're gonna we're gonna pick back up this time, kind of talking about um, where we ended off, and uh, I think the the main thing we kind of ended on was uh, why why the military is not the greatest place for technologists. And so you wrote an article on this. I did. So do you want to kind of give like a 30 second minute overview on kind of like how that went? Totally. Yes. So, uh, so I spent, uh, almost 10 years, uh, in the army. Um, and as you know, Jonathan, there's this weird process of like, you just keep showing up for work. They keep paying you. Um, and, and that's about it. So you have to like, uh, submit this paperwork. It takes about a year to get through. As part of this paperwork, you have to do a counseling with a very like senior officer. In my case, it was like a two-star general. Um, and uh, he said, look, like a lot of you are leaving, like te- technologically proficient officers are, are leaving the service. Like, why? Uh, and I explained, he said, do you think you could write up like an article for me? Um, um, and, and, and so that was the, the genesis of uh, Fish Out of Water why the military is an impossible place for hackers. Did you have any problems getting that published? I did. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> so uh, the military had, uh, the army, I think every branch has something like this, um, have an, uh, an office called uh, public affairs, a public affairs office where you have to, anytime you want to do external kind of engagements or publish an article or whatever, you have to go through PAO. Um, I won't say they were being obstructionist, but uh, they were. It was a really rigorous screening. We'll just put it that way. Um, it took probably six months to get that article through uh, PAO. Yeah. Were they just ripping stuff out? Uh, yeah, there were some. You know, there were some. Uh, I mean, the, the the primary thing is really for for classification issues. Um, uh, but they went through like um, a lot of passages that were not. It wasn't so much about classification. Let's just put it that way. Um, yeah, you know, it's it look, the, yeah. The, I mean, the tough the tough thing is, is I mean, this is a. Um, this is a really sore subject, you know, no one, no one wants cyber commands to, to fail. Right. And it's hard to get criticism, like to, to be on the receiving end of criticism. Um, even when, you know, even when it's productive. Um, so, you know, I, I think it was understandable, but honestly, like the PAO's job is to defend, you know, the interests and the image of, of, uh, Cyber Command. And, and to their credit, I mean, once kind of like very senior officers got involved, and there's one in particular who's, who's pretty awesome, um, TJ White, who's a three-star admiral now in charge of um, fleet cyber. He was like, look, this we have to get this kind of 
discussion out there because while it's hard to hear, uh, we're not going to get better unless we we critically like inspect ourselves and try to try to fix it. Um, so yeah, so what was in that? So what was in the article? Yeah, like what was the sort of crux of it? Yeah, um, so I mean the 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 biggest issue in my opinion is the antiquated promotion system. Um, that's just, you know, the essence of it. Um, so basically this is, you know, Jonathan, you know, a lot about this, obviously, um, you're, you're kind of like, once you get stamped with a user group, um, you start on this conveyor belt where basically there's this 25 year career that's laid out in like exquisite detail. Um, and you're supposed to hit all of these, uh, key jobs that you have to do. You have to go to certain schools. You get um, rated by someone who only sees you a couple times a year. Um, and it's, it's designed basically so that you're this like replaceable cog in a machine. That makes sense. Um, which makes a ton of sense. I mean, like, you know, if it's an infantry unit and you're, you know, you have a platoon leader that gets hurt in combat or rotates out or whatever, you want to be able to plug a new person into that role and they're just like off to the races right away. Right. So it makes, right. it makes a lot of sense at an organizational level. But for and the you're, kind of, you're rotating, you're rotating a lot. So like exactly. they're rotating people like very regularly, like you yep. hear the military moves. So like in the army, it's yep. every like two to three years, you move on to another job because they're trying to get you this like general the knowledge and experience in a bunch of different roles. So that as you work your way up and you're making decisions, like you have that kind of Bingo. knowledge base. Context. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there, you can make decisions like in smart, smart decisions. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the way I've heard it explained is you basically like every lieutenant in the army is being groomed to be the next joint chief of staff, right? Like they're, they're trying to give you those experiences so that when you make it to the tippy top, like you've seen all the different parts of the organization. Um, yeah. So it, it might be, um, fairly obvious why that wouldn't be conducive to like people that are either really high performers, um, or, um, have a career that by its nature is much more like individual contributor, um, or leading like a small team of individual contributors. And so this is kind of the crux of, of the article is explaining. I mean, a lot of it was what I felt, but it was really a composite opinion of so much of the conversations that I had with technical people, especially in cyber command, but also um, in other fields like Jonathan, you know, um, is a super technical guy and like the army certainly wasn't going to keep him in. Um, and, you know, people in military intelligence or signal Corps, they feel the, the very similar kind of um, just stifling environment. that's very difficult to, uh, to, to excel in. So in the private world, yeah. as you, there's, I mean, this is more true a long time ago and things have changed a lot, especially on the technology side, but it used to be this idea that the only way to advance was to begin managing people, right? That like you couldn't stay super technical on a super technical track and, and either be team lead or whatever it was, independent contributor. Um, and I think that's changed a lot in the last, you know, 10 years plus. Um, at a lot of places, but there is still some companies that probably still have that more like, oh, if you're not moving up in management, you're not moving up in a way. Um, is it sort of similar to that in a lot of regards where... Very similar. Okay. Yeah, I think the easiest comparison is if you think about like pilots, like as you start getting higher and higher in rank, like you fly less and less and less. And so there's just not that path to kind of, especially like as an officer, you can't really say like, no, I just want to keep flying. Like I don't want to manage people. 
it's like you're lumped into the whole group because all officers are like generalists. And right. so you're just lumped into this big old group. And so you can't keep flying unless you resign your commission and go be a warrant officer. And then it's like this whole other like path that you've now taken on your life. And it's, it's very like, that's not the easiest thing to do. And not many people like successfully do that. Um, it is common, but not. And so I'd say that's probably the easiest way to kind of draw that conclusion um, or that similarity, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I think that's, I think they're trying to change it, but it's still, it's still like difficult because it's such a large organization. And so how do you give everybody kind of like that fighting chance to be able to succeed? And like, how do you make these broad brushstrokes telling people like what their career is, right? Because a lot of people going in, they go into the military because they want that structure that's like, oh, do step A, B, and C, you will be promoted. Mm-hmm. And I think in the, the private life, that's not always the case, especially in technical roles. Like it's very difficult to tell people kind of how to become security analyst two versus yep. security analyst three and things like that. And so I think it's like this weird balancing act, but the military doesn't, I guess, differentiate between like technical roles and not technical roles. They don't have this idea of like the officer, they have the idea of a like the warrant officers, but it's just not to the scale. I would say cyber's made it very apparent that it's just not to the scale that it kind of needs to be. It's like, I guess it would make sense if cyber command was all warrant officers and everybody can just be technical experts in their field and never have to worry about anything else. Can you take a um, step back and just explain to me like yeah. what a warrant officer is? Cause not military. Yeah. Josh, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think they have, I don't know when warrant officers began. I think it might've been either Vietnam or like it's, it's they've been around for a while. But essentially, um, the path is is generally that you spend some time enlisted. Um, so if you go to like a recruiting center and you're like, I want to join the army, and then they like send you to boot camp. Um, so you'd spend some time enlisted, and then you pass certain qualifications that are like pretty tough. You know, you have to do pretty well on like your physical exams, have good reviews. Um, I believe that there are college requirements now, maybe like an associate's degree or something like that. Uh, you go through this. Um, you go through this selection process, and you can become a warrant officer, which, like, rank wise, is like somewhere between being enlisted and being an officer. Um, and the original intent of warrant officers is that you can be an individual contributor um, that is like somewhat elevated over your, you know, former enlisted peers. Um, and that you can focus on being like really good at one thing. And so you see it very often, for example, in the aviation community. Um, in cyber, you'll see it sometimes, but like uh, in military intelligence, like certain kinds of analysts who will spend 15 years focusing on a particular region or something could, could be a, like a warrant officer. Interesting. So I think there's also a base premise and maybe on what we're talking about, which is this idea that the army has to use military personnel to fill these roles as opposed to trying to come up with other ways to maybe do it. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. This is a huge problem. (laughs) And it's, I think one of the bigger problems, I guess, that's been highlighted recently is like, say, take the signal core. So the signal core is traditionally all the communications infrastructure that the army has, like it's all run by the signal core. And I think somewhere along the line in the last like 10 15 years with all the the wars and conflicts that are going on, they've kind of outsourced all of that technical ability to contractors. Mm -hmm. And so you've kind of lost a lot of that like core technical knowledge. Um, 
in that branch. And so it kind of leaves like a bad taste in everybody's mouth these days because you're just like, well, all these people that have gotten 10 years in the Signal Corps don't really have any technical skills because there was always a contractor that was basically given a document that's like, here's your contract. You can do this, 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 and nothing else. And so you don't really have that kind of like ingenuity or people like going the extra mile or like trying to learn on their own. You have people that are just doing exactly what's written on that piece of paper. And those are the people, the active duty people are in charge of. And so it's like a very different type of problem that I think is kind of right. highlighted some issues. And, and not to mention, so it, it's, it's bad for the contributor because they are sort of like under these very rigid contractual mm-hmm. engagements. But it's also really bad, in my opinion, for the person in charge because like, yeah, we've talked a lot about individual contributors and how important it is to have them. And it certainly is like to have a track for people to, to get paid the same and, and, and have like increasing levels of, of, um, prestige associated with, with their, with their expertise, but also it's important to have people that do decide to go into management. Um, Mm -hmm. like having been there, done that, or at least have a really strong intuition for what the technical nuances are, because otherwise it's just like, why are you in charge? Like, you you know what I mean? Like I have to explain all this stuff to you. I have to give you my recommendation. And then like what? Why are you in charge? You, right. What value just like are a, you bringing? Yeah, what the value you're bringing? You're just a middleman between like right. the ability to make a decision and the people that should be making the decision. Right. And so you, you end up with a lot of that too, which is which is super depressing. Right. That's the nice thing, I guess. Going back to the sort of private industry, right, where you actually have that that ability to branch off at those companies that do recognize that, like, hey, a super technical person, architect, whatever you want to call them, gets you know that's the equivalent of manager, director, you know, vice president is sort of from a pay scale, responsibility, prestige, if you want to call it that, whatever it is, um, and that they're staying, they're not necessarily managing people, but there's also this other track of hey, you know, team lead. You know, um, and then going more down a management route um, and being more of a technical manager. Um, yeah. yeah, I could see or, how that would be very difficult in the army. Yeah, or if you think about like product management, right? Like a right. lot of the bigger tech companies yep. require you to have a technical background to kind of do that. And it's like, oh, if you tried to do that in the army, there'd be nobody. There'd be right. nobody in charge. And right. so now you get those weird giant disparities as you're getting promoted. Um, mm-hmm. which I think is probably another one of your bullet points is like, how do we get that kind of institutional knowledge up to the level of the people actually making the decisions? Right. And you can't do that overnight. Like right. at all. Well, Somehow, thing, hope, well oh, go ahead. Just go, yeah. yeah. So the other thing you were talking about before, right? So you have um, general, the idea is everybody is doing these sort of tours through different roles um, so that when they are joint, you know, the joint chief of staff or whatever, they, have done everything, which also implies then that they're going through some of these more super technical places and have yep. really no business being. I mean, like, whatever. Like, I don't want to disparage anybody, but there's certain roles I would not be very good at. And I assume there's some people that would not be very good at my job. Being so, in charge of a hospital or <laughs> yes, a, that would be uh, bad. a surgery clinic or something right. like that, right? Would probably not or, the be Army car, or the Corps of Engineers, right? Like, right. I would not be good at building actual things. Yeah. Um, they would fall over and we'd say, oh, let's just iterate to success. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> it's agile, G. It's agile, right. Agile construction. That's what we're doing. We're just, yeah. we'll get this bridge right eventually. <laughs> we'll fail fast, you know. 
So anyway, sorry, I sort of interrupted in there. So yeah, so I can also see why that would be problematic because you have these people going through who don't have the yeah. technical. I mean, the, the model works for certain kinds of fields, right? So like I, you think of, um, you know, I was in the infantry for a little while and like most infantry officers go to ranger school, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a reason for that. It's not because you need to learn how to like, you know, fire a machine gun or like rock with a hundred pounds on your back. Like those aren't management skills, but like they give you, they give you an intuition for what the people that you're in charge of go through um, and like what the kind of associated problems are. It gives you like a visceral feel for it. And like, I would argue, you know, mastering the nuances of software engineering is a lifetime endeavor. Whereas like understanding generally how to do like dismounted platoon operations in the woods takes you like a couple of months and, and you've got it pretty much, you know, I mean, of course there's like, you know, um, a lot more nuance to learn, but for the most part, like you've got a pretty good intuition for it after. Are we still months. doing mounted? Do we still have horses? Are we still doing uh, mounted? Yes, well, they're vehicles. They're, they're metal horses now. Yeah. Which, uh, as, as uh, I don't know if I've told you, but you can hack these things. Um, yeah, yeah. I think we've talked about that put before. put a plug in for Shift 5. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, so I mean, I think it's just the system was designed for a different kind of technical expertise mm -hmm. on the, um, uh, you know, for, for, for combat arms, and it just doesn't map well to... Um, the super technical jobs, but somehow, I mean, I do, I, I do have to say that there are some like real patriots. Um, some of our, uh, our cohort, um, you know, Jonathan and, and me, uh, that have decided despite all of these problems, just kind of grin and bear it. Um, and so I am hopeful that, uh, there will be some, you know, really technical people that somehow, you know, they, they latch on to, the service aspect of, of what they're doing or are they, they see a deeply like flawed organization and they have just like this um, irresistible urge to stick it out and, and, and over the long term and fix it. I mean, I, I, there are, there are a lot of people working their way through the ranks now that are, you know, majors now uh, in the army. So like, a, you know, kind of middle management. Middle management. Um, mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, that are, that are, they're working their way uh, through. So I'm, I'm hopeful um, that, that things will change. Right. And so also one of the other bullet points um, before we shift off of uh, talking about the military and one of the other bullet points from the article, and I think we started touching on it last episode, was what makes a good um, you know, military, what infantry, whatever, doesn't necessarily translate to what makes a good uh, technical person in terms of physical skills. Totally. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the, the analogy I used in, in, the, in the article was, you know, like the Venn diagram of people that can run a 15 minute two mile and like dissect a Windows kernel memory dump is like, right. it might be a couple people. I don't know. It's like, it's like vanishingly small. And so, you know, one of the questions we, 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 we grazed on a little bit earlier was like, do these people, you know, the majority of this workforce even need to be in uniform? And so... You know, for, for defensive cyber operations, I'm not even sure that there's any need besides like deploying someone to a combat zone, although we do that for contractors all the time now. Um, there's this one little like bastion of holdout where we're unwilling to like have um, non-uniform personnel operate the keyboard. And that's like whenever there's some sort of like destructive purpose to whatever we're doing um, in the cyber domain. And everything else, though, pretty much we're comfortable with having civilians do. And so there's, there's this really open question of besides, 
making sure that you have a cadre of people that um, have a really strong understanding of who they're in charge of. Like, why do we even need to be doing this at, under the auspices of the military anyway? Um, is I mean, it's an interesting question. I think there's 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 points to both sides, but. Is there anything to relaxing the rules for certain roles with regards to like the physical requirements? There's a lot of discussion about it. There's a lot of discussion about it. And, um, you know, the, the, the arguments around this like border on like kind of religious, um, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like people are, there's a, every year there's like a state of the cyber forces, um, where, I mean, I remember a couple years ago, the, um, the head of Marine Mar Four Cyber, uh, the, the Marine General, um, you know, was reporting on some of the real difficulties they're having in retention. And then one of the um, Congress people asked, like, "Okay, well, um, what do you think about like re- you know reducing some of the military requirements for like pull-ups, for example, right. or whatever?" And she just like snapped to attention in her seat. She's like, all Marines will do pull-ups, you know? And I'm just like, <laughs> okay, all right. Well, <laughs> you know, you're kind of bumping up against the physical issue, you know, like a right. you know, laws of physics issue here. Um, so, you know, you make your bed. <laughs> Is it, I mean, maybe it's not, I mean, maybe it's just another branch. Is that uh, like, that doesn't have right. those physical, right? I, I don't think that the right. Air Force has the same physical requirements as say the they Marines. Don't. Yeah, they don't. They don't. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there are a lot, I mean, among, um, kind of our co- cohort, um, a lot of people make, think that that makes a ton of sense. Um, so we'll have the space force and we'll have the cyberspace force. That's right. The cyberspace force and then the cyber air force. And then, I mean, there's just going to be so many. It just goes uh, on from there. Yeah. I've always yeah, just it, wanted to wear a Star Trek uniform. So <laughs> I think if you kind of made it its own branch, then it's, you can fill billets in the other services by people that are able to fill totally. said billet, right? Like, oh, there's three people that can do pull-ups. Cool. Send them to the Marines right. like, as their tour. <laughs> like, that's yeah. you're the attache to whatever, cyber, in a yeah. Marine unit, right? Like, it's just like the Air Force sends their weather people out to all these different, like, artillery units in the Army. Like, the yeah. Army doesn't concern themselves with weather. The Air Force sends people that are then attached to that unit to do all the things. So I think that that's an interesting totally. way of kind of how to, to force right, that. Cool. We've solved the problem. Uh, <laughs> oh. Look at this. 30 minutes and we solved it. They should put us in charge. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just have to wait 30 years. That's the problem. Uh, right. Yeah. Our year group won't, won't be eligible. Yeah. We won't be eligible until like 2035. Speak for, speak for yourselves, fellas. Speak for <laughs> yeah. And then I think just to kind of wrap it up, I think they are kind of making strides in the whole, like how you apply for positions now. I think they yeah. finally started to get that under control. Cause I remember when I first got in, um, my undergrad was in information technology with like a very heavy emphasis on um, cybersecurity coming out of West Point. Um, but the army didn't want to put me in that role because I was I was branched a logistician. And so as the Army Cyber Command got stood up and things like that, like I tried to transfer in and they were like, sorry, we don't have any spots for logistics officers. And so I was like, well, my undergrads in this, like I had all my professors write letters of recommendation and everything. And they were just like, sorry, in the computer system, I can't put your logistics identifier in this spot. <laughs> and so 
So you quit. I started going down so, a completely yeah, different path. So you should. Yeah. So I think you should have hacked that so that they could. I think that, that would have been your way in. Actually, that was the test, and you failed. You failed. <laughs> you failed. failed. Yeah. You failed. It would have been Let's a very out. easy system. The MTO system <laughs> oh, would have been yes, very so easy bad. to break. And so, but I don't think they would have taken it very lightly and would have probably ruined my career and thrown me in Leavenworth. Um, I, I do have to say, um, so I had a recommendation in the paper that the cyber force take like some cues from military medicine. Um, I think that was a bad uh, recommendation, actually, after some, after some like reflection on it. Um, so well, my wife, but you have no experience with the medical core, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> uh, so, so my wife is uh, a physician, um, right. in the military, she's still active duty and, um, it's awful. It's just absolutely awful. Um, the, the hospital doesn't, you know, the military medicine is undergoing this like upheaval right now where they are, um, essentially trying to assign all of the physicians to combat units. So you'll have a cardiothoracic heart surgeon who will be assigned. I'm, this is not an exaggeration. I uh, will be assigned to like the 82nd airborne division uh, to go and report to like jump out of aircraft or go to jump school. Um, because the attitude is if you can't deploy in service of the nation, why are you in uniform? Which there's like some merit to except all these military treatment facilities um, are super underserved by by physicians, and so you can't have your cake and eat it too. You want someone to be a you know someone capable of doing a quadruple heart bypass, and also you know um, uh, hand out shoot, move, and, and communicate. Shoot, move, and right. communicate. Uh, out of you know, jump out of a C one thirty, and you're stuck in a very corollary position to where most of the cyber force is today, where you know, Colonel Rootkit and, and Two Mile um, are just right. kind of oil and water. Not to mention, I think on the, not to go too far straight, but not to mention most uh, doctors don't really like the idea of shooting people. I feel like that sort of goes against some of their principles. Yeah, um, certainly so. not part of the Hippocratic Oath. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, do no harm, you know. I, yeah. I think... Um, yeah, they're they're in a really bad place. Military medicine is in a really, really, really bad place. Um, like the the survey, the annual survey that goes out is just like abysmal. Their retention numbers are absolutely horrible. The only way that they manage to keep people in, very similar to in in the cyber branch, is through these service obligations, which is um, I mean, it sounds a little harsh, but it is the only uh, legal indentured servitude that still exists in the United States. So every other contract that you make with anybody else in your life, you can basically pay your way out of. There's always like uh, like monetary kind of component that you can right. you can get out of it. Um, you can't get out of service obligations. So basically, that they, they view this as a retention tool, just basically locking people into their jobs, and it has caused just abysmal. Um, uh, abysmal uh, morale. I was going to say, I'm sure it really helps with morale. I'm sure. It's awful. It's We're really, actually really instituting bad. it at Cyberary. I'm chaining people to desks. Yeah, you can. Right, right, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah. But, like but since, it's a COVID, since it's COVID, we're doing, I'm chaining them at home. They get chained to their desk at home. It's It right. works out pretty well. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, if I, if I had to change one thing about the article, it would it, that would be, I, I tried to be constructive and like think of, you know, a solution 
um, and look look to a model that, that may, maybe was working. And, and I, I definitely picked the wrong one there. So I, I don't know. We'll have to rethink it. Right. I don't know what else you could pick. I don't know what else you could pick. Yeah. What about JAG Corps or whatever for the for lawyers? I feel like that's a very similar. I think it's I often think similar. I often think that lawyers and software engineering very very similar. Yeah. With esoteric language, both either trying to build a contract that can't be broken or trying to figure out how to break a thing that's already been written. Um, So I feel like there's a lot of overlap there. Yeah, I don't know what the retention numbers look like in JAG. I do know like one of the positive things people say about that is um, you get to practice a lot of criminal law. Uh, I don't know what that says about the army uh, or like like trial law. You know, you get to do a lot of... Yeah, I was going to say probably trial law more than just straight. Well, both. So, yeah. So, I mean, there are some unique experiences, I think, and I've heard some generally good things. Um, uh, But I, I don't know what the retention numbers are. Jonathan, do you know? I mean... No. Yeah. No, we didn't. I know people that. Well, I mean, I know people that went in to be lawyers, like a couple of years ago. But I'm so far removed now that. Yeah. I mean, I guess they're still in, but like it's it's a lot different. I think for legal because every level of unit in the military has a legal team, mm-hmm. and so because like say the lowest in the army, like company commander, is like the legal guardian for all of those soldiers. Like you're legally responsible for all of them. Like you have lawyers at that level that are like your counsel. Well, my, my so brother-in-law, talking- so, sorry to just jump in, but my brother-in-law lawyer who uh, was with the 82nd Airborne, I don't know exactly the, you know, we've never really talked about his military experience as being a lawyer, but I know, so clearly there's, there's a difference, right? He's actually part, you know, he was until he retired um, part of the 82nd, so... Yeah. 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 And so you have them at that lowest level and they're being used. Right. Right. And it's very, it's like everybody knows what a lawyer does. Like nobody's trying to make them do other things. Like it's very accepted. But I think the problem with like cyber and some of these more like doctors and things, it's like they don't, they don't live at that echelon of service. Like they're, there's so many levels up that it's like they're, they're 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 also, right. And they're also separated. Right. They're not, they're not as embedded. Right. Exactly. Right. Cause you, like, I mean, the closest you have, I think would be in the medical is like your tiers of hospital. Right. But even then it's like, there's a line that's like, Oh, if you need anything that's like cutting you open, like they're flying you somewhere else. Right. Like they're right. not right. doing certain things at certain levels. Yeah. You'll have so, like flight surgeons and things or like flight docs in the air force. Um, the, the problem is, is it's your, they call them like general medical officers. So you're not required to have any advanced training beyond medical school to do that job. And so for something like my wife is a dermatologist and for her, like that takes years and years and years of training. It's very specialized and she has to practice in the clinic a lot to keep up on her, on her skills. And if she's out like giving boo-boo band-aids, um, you know, at, at, at JRTC or something, like she's losing all of that training on the dermatology side. And so there's this real schism or like dissonance between what she does most of her time at like the hospital running a dermatology clinic and like what she would do out in the field with, with, you know, the 82nd airborne people like, right. you know, spraining ankles and stuff and she's right. handing out Motrin. Right. Yeah. Hey, this is Thor. Thanks for listening to the Cyberry podcast and make sure to check back next Wednesday for our newest episode.